Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we ask you to be with us today. Give wisdom and discernment. Teach us about the trials of our faith and uh, what we can do to overcome in them. Uh, Thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Okay, yes, we're going to study trials of faith. Prepare us for battle. Praise be to God. All right. And uh, let's see, Um, we're going to start with a revelation here. Um, Saints advance in training. Anonymous, 9-20-22. The other night I asked the Lord, why do I always get attacked in the spiritual? For example, battles with witchcraft, fear, etc. Then I heard, paraphrasing this, uh, we need to conquer in the spiritual, so that when it happens in the physical, it will be done. For example, if people physically try to hurt us, we don't give in to fear or doubt, but instead believe that they can't touch us. No matter formed, uh, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and uh, they can't touch us. Well, okay, so. We speak and act in faith, bringing into existence the things that we need or want to happen, and to overlook those things in the natural. This is walking by faith in the Spirit. If you always react to what you see in the natural, you can't walk in the Spirit. I then dreamt that David Eels, Michael, Michael means who is like God, Uh, A very dear sister and I, along with many other brethren, were staying at this home. It had many buildings, kind of like a school, and we all lived there. It was located on a big hill right next to a beach, and there was a forest area surrounding the building on the other side. The beach water was only around 30 meters from the building's location. And since it was sitting up on a hill, when you looked out from there, we had a very nice view of everything around the area. The closest neighbor was very far away. Well, it appears that this is a training school for UBM. Um, And uh, he went on to say, Michael was leading our study classes. He was speaking to us all as he showed us around. I followed very closely to Michael. I was at his back the whole time, asking questions and speaking with him. Other brethren that I didn't know were following a distance behind me, and I felt a little guilty that maybe I should stop following Michael so closely and walk behind the others. But I had so many questions for Michael, and I wanted to hear every little thing he said. 
Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 7, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. And uh, we know that Mary chose to sit at the Lord's feet, uh, listening to him. She chose the better part, Jesus said, right? Uh, There was much talk about the man-child and many end-time events. We were all extremely hungry for God. Well, it's obvious that these people are drawn to the Lord. Uh, Psalm 65 and 4 says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord chooses and causes to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. And uh, Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's going to be hungry, hungry people in these days. At one point, all the brethren were in a large room with a giant screen taking up most of the whole wall. And we were seated on couches and watched uh, an outreach Zoom meeting on the screen. And there were many people that we didn't know. I remember hearing some of the elders discussing that we all should be fellowshipping with each other more every day, not in a religious way, but letting the Holy Spirit determine how long we fellowship uh, for each day. But it was emphasized to be uh, communing with the brethren more every day, not uh, on self or worldly things, but to be in deep prayer together in the Word and discussing Father and Jesus in spirit and in truth. Well, because of the many curses from the factious Satanists, uh, in order to divide, it is important for the body to stay accountable to one another. One of the devil's tactics to get people isolated uh, from the rest of the body and take them out with division. The enemy has used their slander, deception, witchcraft, and many curses to divide the flock. Um, they're only able to get those who disobey the Word, uh, which keeps us safe. And this whole process, of course, uh, cleans the body, sanctifies the body. Um, Hebrews three twelve through 13 says, Take heed, brethren, lest happily there shall be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. But exhort one another day by day, so long as it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Also Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and, and let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together as the custom of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day drawing nigh. Well, we pray for unity and for all to be together in one accord, waiting for the anointing to come like they did at Pentecost when they received the promise of the Father. Acts 1 and 14 says, These all with one accord continued steadfastly in prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren, And when the day of Pentecost was now come, they were all together in one place. Amen. 
in Acts 2, 4, 46 through 47, and the day by day, continuing steadfastly in one accord in the temple. So this one accord thing, um, one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. There's power in combined prayer. And this part here is more like a training uh, period. From one part of the building, you could see further down the beach between the water and the side of a cliff that was a pathway. On the front of this path sat a cannon. David Eel said that when the cannon goes off, the enemy will start coming to us from over there. So this is, a, this is, of course, a trial, a test, a teaching, you know. The cannon represents the approach of the enemy and could be uh, like the first trump or even the beginning of the tribulation because we're getting very close to it now. That's Revelation 8 and 7. We were told that we had to exercise our faith and believe the word. Uh, no weapon formed against us will prosper. And we are dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. It's not us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. And we tread on snakes and scorpions, and nothing will harm us. Snakes and scorpions are our attempt to bring anxiety and stress and fear and all that. That's what those spirits do. The cannon soon went off, and I ran over to the spot where I could see the enemy coming out of the forest and water near the cannon, and they were moving towards us. I saw weird, creepy-looking creatures that I've never seen before, uh, some white, red, black, different shapes and sizes. Uh, they were creepy. Uh, in the natural, what I saw was scary and caused fear, panic, doubt, unbelief, uh, which I had to cast off. Well, of course, every time, because you can be led that way, uh, you'll be led of the devil. Luke 10 and 19 says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall in any wise hurt you. And of course, if we believe it and stand on it and cast down fear and doubt, we will have victory. They quickly advanced to the building and some people tried to hide in the building, but the creatures walked straight through the building to them. So their fear is faith in the enemy and faith in the curse, right? You will get conquered that way. We have authority over all the power of the enemy. Some people ran, but they couldn't run fast enough to get away. There was no escape. Yep, running is, is uh, provoking them to chase you, right? I was constantly battling fear and doubt. I was trying to only think on Scripture and speak it, believe it, and not give in to what I was physically seeing. Some creatures tried to grab me, but I thought, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. They can't touch me. And it went on to someone else. I walked around the buildings witnessing the brethren fighting these creatures using the word of God being faithful to his word. But those that didn't have faith and used the armor of God were taken out by these creatures. I was outside and more of these creatures approached me and tried to get me, but I knew that they couldn't touch me. 
They knew it too, as soon as I thought that. Then suddenly, I jumped so high onto the top of a really tall tree, and I could see the enemy below and everything from afar. I was able to fly from tree to tree quickly. I had a view of everything that was going on. I was protected and kept safe throughout the whole training, even until all the creepy things went away. Well, this leaping high up into the tree probably represents abiding in heavens in Christ, heavenly places in Christ, where is every spiritual blessing. Right? This whole dream felt like training and preparing for the end times and uh, man-child to lead us. Well, amen. We are going through trainings like this. We are attacked by weird creatures, you know, from the uh, second heaven. And, of course, it's a battle to uh, train us to be ready to take on anything. Uh, once we get the message that he got here, um, there, we're just, it's, there's nothing the enemy can do with us. So we call this next one, uh, Learning Faith on the Training Grounds. Anonymous twelve eight twenty two. I dreamt that I was a part of a team, and we were practicing for a real battle against the enemy team. Well, the enemy is in the kingdom of darkness, and the real battle is saving souls for the kingdom of God, including our own. <laughs> My team was located in a fenced area. Well, in other words, this is an environment which is controlled by the Lord. All of our training is controlled by the Lord. We need to understand that we're being tested and tried, and we need to get better at this spiritual warfare as we go. Uh, the fenced area was around the size of a football field, and outside of the fenced area was all bush and it felt like this place was hidden in the middle of bush. Well, Jesus said, the field is the world. It felt like it was uh, hidden because it is not seen in the natural, right? And represents the heavenlies where our battles are fought. Well, true, okay? There was only a single gate that led into the fenced area. And it was located at the front. So, Jesus um, is the door to his sheepfold. He controls what is let in. All trials, etc. These are all from God. A man can receive nothing except it come from heaven, right? The fence perimeter was extremely tall and thick. And it was see-through. And up on top of the fence, it had sharp spikes or barbed wire and electric fencing so that no one could climb over. So it's a controlled situation. And there is only one gate or way into heavenly places, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. And also the perimeter is fortified like the fortress of uh, the Almighty, right? And he gives this verse, uh, N-E-N-T, John 14 and 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but through me. True. So the first 20 yards inside the fenced area was sand, and then it led into water. Well, the seed of Abraham are as the sand, we're told, and the water is our life in the washing of the water with the word. So it gives us new life, death to the old, life to the new. So most of the area was water, but towards the end of the water, there was around another 10 yards of high-leveled ground like a plateau. It's like a place in God that only the washed can reach because it's past the water, right? You have to go through the water to get there. So it's a place in God of safety, and that can be reached only through the washing of the water. Your mind um, many times goes to fear and doubt and unbelief when you're faced in a battle, and you must cast all these vain imaginations down, right? The water was shallow until about halfway through you had to swim or tread to stay afloat. So the head and the mind must be washed too, right? You've got to get into water over your head. Then it became shallow again towards the end. Well, this fenced training area is a progression of our Christian spiritual growth and walk. And uh, we shall see this as we go on. Uh, we all start out our walk with limited knowledge of the kingdom of God. Uh, the number 20 there means redemption. Uh, we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And the sand represents the seed of Abraham. Genesis 22 and 17 says that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. All right. So God is going to give us the victory and we need to have that in our mind. Uh, the water, of course, is the word. Shallow waters mean having little experience in the ways of God and the Word and uh, still allowing the flesh to rule, right? So as we grow in knowledge and experience using the armor of God, which is the Word, we can abide in deep water where we must swim in, which puts us to death in the, puts the old man to death in us, right? Ten represents completion and attaining the high-level ground, which represents Mount Zion. So I thought of these verses regarding the waters. Mm -hmm. Then, this is uh, Ezekiel 47, 2 through 5. Then he, then he brought me out by the way of the gate, and a little further, and behold, there ran out waters of the, from the right side. And when the man went forth eastward with the line in his hands, he measured a thousand cubits, and he caused me to pass through the waters, waters that were to the ankles. That's a shallow walk uh, in the Word. The deeper we get in the Word, the better it is. The old man dies, a new man comes to life. Right? 
Verse 4, again, he measured a thousand and caused me to pass through the waters, waters that were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and caused me to pass through the waters, waters that were to the loins. And afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed through, meaning, of course, a place of death to self, like baptism. Our team was in this area training and preparing for when the enemy team would come in to fight. Well, our walk to become like Christ is constant training and exercise. Uh, we can't ignore this training. We need to fight these battles by faith. The righteous shall live from faith. So this is our sanctification process. Ephesians 4 and 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministry, unto a building up of the body of Christ. And Ephesians 5 and 26 says that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of the water with the word. So we were building up our faith and truth in God, speaking scripture and praying for each other. So in fellowship, we we give and receive from each other, growing up in Christ, learning from each other, each member of the body serving the whole, And we share the word and the personal testimonies that we have, which give faith to others in their trials and praying together so that we can all benefit, right? Acts 2 and 42 says, And they were continuing steadfastly in the teaching and the fellowship of the apostles, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And Luke 6 and 40 A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is perfected, shall be as his teacher. So our goal is to walk in the steps of Jesus, where there's constant victory. We looked over and saw a large group of people marching towards us from the outside and marching over into the front door to get inside. Hmm. So the door represents Christ, the head or mind, which is part of the soul where we first permit or refuse thoughts of the enemy. Uh, That's what happens is uh, thoughts are in our mind concerning whenever we're attacked or whenever the enemy shows his ugly face. Um, We have to cut it off right there. We have to start walking by faith and speaking faith right there. We have to refuse thoughts of the enemy, choosing the mind of Christ, or the mind of the uh, over the mind of the flesh. Uh, the enemy team were all wearing black hazmat or black combat gear, which covered their entire body, and you couldn't see anyone's eyes or any skin. Well, the enemy can be the demons or also man in whom demons work through quite commonly. They are clothed in works of darkness. No one had any weapons. Well, we know that our weapons are not carnal but spiritual against the enemy. 
Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. This is where the greatest strongholds are, in your own imaginations. And every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Yes, uh, repent, change your mind, believe what God says over what your mind wants to tell you of fleshly things and fear and doubt and so on. For someone to be taken out, they had to be touched first by the opposite team. So the one who gets touched first um, is out, right? And I believe this is talking about touched by evil, uh, represents not sanctified or separated from it. It was kind of like the game tag. However, the other team's goal was either to get us all out by tagging us first or to get all their team members to the other side of the water near the plateau. plateau. I felt that the higher level ground at the end was our special place and the heart of our team. Well, we have to guard our heart, don't we? Uh, which is the soul, which is where we bear the fruit of Christ. The enemy wants to keep us from maturing in Christ uh, to a hundredfold perfection. And the best defense is offense. So we fight the battle with the truth of the word of God. In Proverbs four twenty through 23, My son, attend unto my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thy heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all of their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I remember thinking maybe we could just shut and lock the only door and then the other team couldn't get in. When you close all open doors that you recognize where the enemy could come into your life by first confessing any sin uh, with repentance, giving a clean conscience um, so that we can then have faith and, and keep walking in Christ. Other doors that you may not recognize and um, are, are become a trial which ensues so that you overcome the hidden things. You may not recognize them at first, but in the trial you will see. Ephesians 4 and 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Uh, we're not to back up. We're not to run. We're to face this with faith and boldness and speak the word. We make those choices, it's easier for the next battle. Well, people on my team were located all over. Some were at the front near the door to try and touch as many people as they could first to get them out. Well, when we share light with the darkness, they lose their power, right? Amen. Others were waiting uh, in the water in the hope to get the enemy when they tried to swim across. 
Uh, I was standing at the back at the high-level ground watching it all. And as the enemy team came through the door, they immediately charged at my team. My team were all, all so scared, they ran from them and swam through the water to get to the ground that I was standing on. Well, it was announced that my team had failed and the enemy instantly despawned from our entire area. The trial was over. There was a failure, so now you have to go through it again. Okay. Our team gathered together, and we were told in the Spirit that we needed to have faith in God's Word. The faith that the enemy is already defeated. Yes. Faith that the enemy can't touch us or do anything against us. Faith that we have all power over the enemy. Yes. And faith that we are already in the victory. We have already triumphed. Amen. Joshua 1 and 9. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not affrighted, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Colossians 1 and 23. If so be that you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Amen. Don't move from the gospel, the good news. Colossians 2 and 7. Rooted and build it up in him and established in your faith, even as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Amen. Well, it was made known to us that our greatest weapon was faith. And to manifest the conquering of the enemy, we needed to believe and trust our Lord and His Word. Well, we know that the enemy works hard to steal our faith uh, by things that we see, we feel, we hear. He uses all of that. First John 5 and 4 says, Because whatsoever is begotten of God, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. Your faith will overcome any uh, enemy. And another round started up, and the enemy started marching over again to enter the door. I again was located on the higher ground, watching, and others in the water, and some near the front door. The enemy came charging in, and I watched a man on our team that was standing near the door tag everyone that came near him. Uh, this represents capturing every illegal thought. This, the door, of course, is the head. The door is Jesus. Uh, that's the mind of the spirit. Okay, But there's also the mind of the flesh. So this represents capturing every illegal thought immediately at the door. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. People on the other team couldn't even touch him, so they started running around him to get past and run after other people. That brother was so bold in faith, not giving in to doubt or unbelief, that the enemy couldn't touch him. However, he could touch the enemy. He got so many people out but there were so many of them that he couldn't get them all. So, 
all of the different members of the body of Christ to have different gifts and talents, and everyone is essential in the kingdom to battle as one. You don't let people go through a battle alone, right? That's what your faith is about and what your prayers are there for. The enemy ran to others on my team, and some of them tried to stand in faith without moving, but gave in to doubt when the enemy faced right in front of them, so they got tagged out. Some others tried to stand in faith, but gave in to doubt, and they got taken out too. And others just ran straight away to where I was, There were only a couple of people on our team that were left standing. However, there were too many of the enemy coming to take them out uh, on their own. So they couldn't stand alone, right? And when there were only a couple of people left on our team, all of the enemy surrounded them alone, and they got attacked with much doubt and unbelief because they were alone against this giant team. We failed again, and the enemy despawned. We gathered together, and we all felt in spirit that we are a team, we are all one, and needed to work together. Our team needs each and every one of us to stand together and to overcome. We need to be strong ourselves so that we can be strong for each other. And we are all one. We are as weak as our lowest, weakest member, right? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 and 20 says, But now they are many members, but one body. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I beseech you, brethren, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfected together in the same mind, that is the mind of Christ, right? And in the same judgment. Amen. Philippians one twenty-seven and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your state, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one soul, striving for the faith of the gospel. Amen. And in nothing affrighted by the adversaries, which is for them an evident token of perdition, but of your salvation, and that from God. So those that are your attackers, of course, even if they consider themselves Christians, they are of perdition, of destruction, it says. Again, the enemy started marching towards us and entered through the gate. There were mostly brethren waiting in the water. This time, the three men with the boldest faith waited on the sand at the front door and tagged everyone they could so that there wouldn't be as many of the enemy making it into the water. Well, when we love Jesus and we keep His commandments, we love the brethren by laying down our lives for each other, we are bold in the faith. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 says, But now abide of faith, hope, and love, these three, 
and the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. When the enemy got into the water, most of the people on my team stood strong and tagged the enemy out. But still, a few got scared and swam away. Or they gave in to doubt when the enemy came right in front of them and they got tagged out. The enemy despawned and we had to start again. Yep, if you don't get it right, you got to do it again till you get it right. We're in training. We're in training for something that's bigger than what we're in now. All right. So this kept going on until every person on my team stood strong in the faith, kept their ground, and tagged out all of the enemy. Everyone needs to know how to use the armor of God. Ephesians six, ten through 18 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, and against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Withal, taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons in the Spirit and watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I watched some brethren chase after the enemy uh, to get them first, and others just stayed in one spot, touching the enemy when the enemy came to them. It took a few more rounds, but ended up with everyone on our team successfully defeating the enemy. Praise God. Now, we've had a lot of practice, (laughs) and uh, people are learning how to stand without giving in. Uh, to fear or doubt or unbelief, recognizing the fact that they have authority over all the power of the enemy and taking it. So thank you, Lord, for the trial so that we learn to use faith in the word and endure to the end. And the final goal, of course, is Christ in us. This is our daily battle. And together we shared fellowship uh, with all of us together uh, in the kingdom as one in Christ. Okay, and he gives this uh, NENT verse, uh, Philippians 3 and 12. Not that I've already received or am already made perfect, but I follow on. If so be that I may apprehend that for which also I was apprehended by Christ Jesus. Of course, he apprehended us to bring us into his image. And that's what we're headed for. 
Then Philippians 3 and 14, I follow on towards the mark unto the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Luke 9 and 23, And he was saying to all, If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are pressed on every side, yet not straightened, perplexed, yet not over perplexed, pursued, yet not left behind, smitten down, yet not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Amen. The testings, the trials, they're all worth a lot. They prepare us for the future battles. We call this one defense. Samuel 5, 3.30.23. I saw a man in a shop being accused of doing something he was not guilty of doing. Just as Jesus was falsely accused so that those who follow in his steps will be. He paid for an item that he did not break and for other items with what little he had. I saw how, despite a bad experience or answer, he gave love and provision when it was undeserving, and this completely shocked the store owner, those who accused him. And Jesus always had pure, holy love, especially to those who hated, mocked, and abused him. Uh... He still had mercy, love, and compassion on them. Oh, he prayed for them. Uh, he prayed for them that they would. Um, they didn't know what they were doing. He asked the Father to do that, to pr- protect them, deliver them. Well, just as Jesus did, um, so are we to have love, mercy, and grace towards all, especially to those who are being used as vessels of dishonor and are being used to crucify our flesh and our old man, right? So the man was ridiculed, but he didn't say a word in defense, accused, but still smiled and helped people around him. First uh, Peter 2, 21 through 23 says, For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Then the angels came and surrounded him and nourished and blessed him. God was pleased. Uh, His reward is in heaven Uh, in abundance. We know that we have to defend the weak around us. We uh, have to teach them how to defend themselves and so on and so forth. But self has to die. Uh, A a trial or a test that just has to do with self. Uh, We just resist not the evil and turn the other cheek, so on and so forth. Uh, When others are being attacked, it's a different story. You know, we uh, defend them with our shield of faith, even, you know, and with our helmet of salvation. Okay, faith to continue to stand. We call this 
It's anonymous, one sixteen twenty three. I saw a man standing boldly on a pallet in faith, physically and spiritually. He was standing up high above in the sky, and below him was the earth. He had such confidence in the Lord and believed the word and tried to live it. His face was towards the heavens, looking higher above. I felt the Lord was pleased with him. He reminded me of St. Stephen, looking towards the Lord in heaven, obviously when he was getting stoned, right? Um, and he gives us N-A-N-T here, Acts seven fifty-five and 56. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he fixed his eyes on the heaven and saw God's glory and Jesus standing at God's right hand. And he said, Lo, I behold the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at God's right hand. I then saw the pallet that he was standing on disappear. The man was then tempted to look beneath him, taking his eyes off of Jesus, to see that he wasn't standing on anything. Would he give in to fear of falling and doubt? because he naturally had nothing to stand on. The Lord removes what are worldly ways to show our reliance on him in, in everything. N-E-N-T here, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, says, Therefore now we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses encompassing us, let us lay aside every weight and the and the easily besetting sin, and let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured a cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I felt that this was a test to see if he will continue to look above towards the Lord and keep standing in faith, that he will stand without anything physically holding him, because he believed God is holding him. Or give in to fear of what he is seeing in the physical. Uh, Safety is in living by faith and, and not by sight. Well, like Peter had faith to step out of the boat and walk to Jesus. But then he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. Matthew fourteen twenty-eight and 30 says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee upon the waters. And he said, Come. And Peter went down from the boat and walked upon the waters to come to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Well, he only got one word from the Lord, and that's all it took, right? (laughs) Come. He started walking by faith, but then he got to looking at the wind and the waves, and he got afraid, and he started to sink. 
And Jesus corrected him for that. I then heard something like, Will you keep standing through faith or fall because of fear? The enemy tries to make us fail, but when we trust in the Lord, we can ascend higher into heavenly places in Christ. Um, he gives the NENT here, John 3.31, Who cometh from above is above all. Who from the earth is, from the earth he is, and from the earth he speaketh. Who cometh from heaven is above all. So if you're being born from a heaven, uh, then you have the word of the Lord with you, right? Proverbs 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. Amen. We, we're to walk in heavenly places in Christ. They call this one a partaking of the bread and sufferings. Some people are turned aside because of sufferings. They think they're not supposed to suffer anything if they're on the right path. Um, but that's just simply not so. This is Marie Kelton, nine fifteen twenty three. During the meeting, I had an open vision of being in heaven. My hair was its natural color, uh, and my thought was God's creation should show submission to Him, right? I was wearing a long lace head covering, and I was kneeling. I think Marie represents the bride of Christ here who is veiled and in the position of humble submission to his will. I saw the Lord walk up to me. His eyes were a flame of fire. Revelation 19 and 12 says, And his eyes were a flame of fire. And he had a flame of fire in his right hand. This represents the word of righteousness. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 23 and 29 says, Is not my word like fire, saith the Lord? 1 Corinthians three twelve through 14 says, But if any man buildeth on the foundation gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and stubble, each man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it is revealed in fire. So fire is going to prove, right, whether this work is of man or of God. And it goes on to say, and the fire itself shall prove each man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work shall abide which he built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Revelation 2 and 17 says, To him that overcometh, to him will I give of the hidden manna. So in these trials, these fiery trials, we can overcome, but also God will give us the hidden manna. And the next part of the revelation is, the flame of fire then turned to what I knew was manna. I knew he wanted me to eat it. Well, the manna is the word of God, who is Jesus, the living bread from heaven, right? And we need to eat it so that we can have his eternal life in us. Uh, John six forty eight through 51 says, I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread which cometh down out of heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Yea, and the bread which I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Then a goblet appeared in his hand. He handed the goblet to me, and I drank from it. What came to me was that this was the cup of suffering, to partake in his sufferings. Mm-hmm. Well, Matthew 26 and 39 says, And he went forward a little and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Obviously, uh, we have to be leave the same thing about trials and tribulations that come against us, right? And Mark ten thirty eight and 39 But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We are able. Well, that was a good confession, wasn't it? And Jesus said unto them, The cup that I drink you shall drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with shall ye be baptized. And it was suffering. They all went through suffering. So, we eat the body of Christ, which is the Word of God, for He is the Word made flesh. We drink the blood, because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11 So, partaking of His life and nature is suffering the loss of our old life and nature. And baptism represents the death and burial of the old man, and the coming up represents the resurrection life of the new man in Christ. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of course, empowers us to be able to drink the cup of suffering, which is the death of the old man. This enables us to partake of his holiness. It's not only power to do uh, works for Jesus, it's power to stand for Jesus. In 1 Peter four twelve through 13 it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial among you, which cometh upon you to prove you, as though a strange thing happened unto you. But inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, rejoice, that at the revelation of his glory also you may rejoice with exceeding joy. Amen. Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming conformed unto his death. When we choose to overcome in the midst of these trials and tribulations and sufferings, like Jesus did, we are taking up our cross to follow him and to be his disciple. He said, if we don't take up our cross to follow him, uh, we can't be his disciple. Taking up your cross is seeking to be obedient to the word. 
The testings and trials are coming against the Word in you. And when you hold fast to the Word, you overcome, and you don't, as we just saw in another testing revelation, have to go around again. When they finally overcame, uh, it was over. The training was finished. They had come into the image of Christ in that he told us that he gave us authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing would hurt us, right? So that's where we're at. We are uh, walking down this road um, of testings and trials and fiery uh, furnace, which burns up the wood, hay, and stubble works of man that we do to try to save ourselves or provide for ourselves or whatever. Um, the fire is going to prove every man's work. Um, the things that will stand in the fire, of course, are the gold, the silver, precious uh, stones that are uh, will pass through the fire and survive. Right, the works of Jesus, in other words, Amen. So, Father, we ask you to bring us through these trainings that we go through. Recognize them as trainings. Many don't recognize them, but anything but a hindrance, and they try to avoid them or run from them, as some did. You know, uh, Lord, uh, we are here to be overcomers. All the promises. Uh, are to the overcomers. So overcoming, of course, is standing in the Word of God, accepting the authority of the Word of God, and uh, and conquering the enemies. We thank you, Lord, for this victory that you've already given to us. You redeemed us out of the hands of our enemies, Luke 1 tells us. It's already been done. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He also said, the enemy cometh, but he hath nothing in me. So that's the way it needs to be with us. You know, of course, the enemy is going to come. He's going to try us. He's going to test us. That's what he's there for. God could have gotten rid of him at the beginning of the world, but he decided not to. We need him to bring us through these testings and trials, to bring us into the image of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father. We love you and we praise you. Okay, uh, Michael Hare is going to come and share a word with you and the brethren, and we pray a blessing upon them all in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Brother David. God bless you. Hello, saints. It's so good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I love you, Lord. And I just praise you and I glorify you, Father. And I thank you for putting it in our hearts to surrender everything to you on your altar, Lord. And I ask and I pray that you place it after, place it in our hearts to run after you with all of our hearts, Lord. You know, Father God, there's too many people out there that believe the lie that they have already arrived. And that's a sad thing. They don't have to do anything but just listen to the preacher up there. You know, Father, You've set out goals for us, and the goal is to be Christ-like. And most of the people don't even know it, Lord. Father, I ask that you help us to understand those things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to talk about Christ, the power and wisdom of God. 
Now let's start with Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 32. For the backsliding of the simple shall slay them. Now when scripture talks about falling away, it's talking about backsliding. Proverbs 1 32, for the backsliding of the simple shall slay them, and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. There's a problem in most of Christianity in that our mind is infected with this world, its ways, and its thinking, and it has to be renewed. There's too many people out there that believe that the beginning and the end of Christianity is just to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. That ain't written anywhere in the Word of God. What Jesus said in the Word is to repent and believe. And what that means is to change your mind, believe what I say. That's what he's talking about. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. And yet there's too many people that think they've stopped, stepped over some kind of an imaginary line and all they got to do now is just sit down and rest in the flesh. But you're not going to be able to bear fruit when you do that. Luke chapter 6 and verse 4 to 3 says, For there is no good tree that brings forth corrupt fruit, nor again a corrupt tree that brings forth good fruit without bearing fruit. You're not going to be born from above. John chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except one be born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, let's go to Proverbs one twenty again and look at who wrote, For the backsliding of the simple shall slay them. Proverbs 1 and 20 says, Wisdom crieth aloud in the street. So we see right here that wisdom is the one speaking here. And scripture also says over in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's Jesus speaking. He's the wisdom of God. And from John, we know that he's also the Word of God, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Therefore, the Word of God is the wisdom of God. And the Word gives you very clear directions to seek Him. Not once, not by just shaking a preacher's hand or anything like that, but to seek Him and put that wisdom into your heart. Putting that wisdom in your heart is what's going to protect and deliver you from this falling away. Because as the Bible warns us in Psalm 58, 3, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Now let's continue reading in Proverbs one twenty. Wisdom crieth aloud in the street. She utters her voice in the broad places. That's the broad road where the many are. You don't want to be there. <laughs> Verse 21, she cries in the chief place of concourse at the entrance of the gates in the city. She utters her words. How long, ye simple ones? Well, that Hebrew word there means foolish or silly, uh, able to be seduced or naive. They're simple. These people are simple to the knowledge of God. Then it goes on and says, Will ye love simplicity? 
and scoffers delight them in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Fools hate knowledge. Do you know how we know that people hate knowledge? It's because they don't choose to seek it out. They choose the world and the worldly over the word. And they let someone just tell them how it is instead of seeking out their own salvation, as it says in Philippians 2 and 12, with fear and trembling. They'd rather pay some preacher somewhere to give the truth, so to speak. Well, here's the truth. Matthew 22 and 14. For many are called, but few chosen. That's what it says. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Be not ashamed, therefore, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but suffer hardship with the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before times eternal, who saved us and called us. You don't get called until you get saved. This calling is a Greek word that means invitation. We're being invited to partake of the things of the kingdom of God. And yet there's a whole bunch of folks out there not partaking of these. Although it's written in, they're real plain to see. You can show it to them, but they've been inoculated by that dead old religion to not believe what's written in the word of God. And that's why many are the called and few are the chosen. Now, when you go out into a field that you have plenty, which is what God has done in a parable, you're looking for the fruit. You're going to pick the fruit. You're going to uh, combine the heads of the wheat, right? You don't care about the plant. You plow the plant under after you gather the fruit, and it goes back to the soil just like the old body. Jesus, in the parable of the sower, pointed out to us four different types of people. And three of the four, when they heard the good news, fell away. Even though they were the ones, at least the last three were, these were the ones who were called. Mark 4 and 14. The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they and when they have heard, straightway comes Satan and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And these in like manner are they that are sown upon the rocky places, who when they have heard the word straightway receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, straightway they stumble. And others, others are they that are sown among the thorns. These are they that have heard the word, and the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are they that were sown upon the good ground, such as hear the word, and accept it, and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And again, three of the four types when they heard the good news, fell away. Only one bore fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's the true kingdom people. So if you love simplicity, if you love the very simple lie that all you need to do is shake somebody's hand, shake the preacher's hand, and then go sit on a pew and wait for the rapture, 
Well, you're one of these fools who hates knowledge. And if that's all you do, you're hating knowledge. You need to seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2 and 12. Proverbs 1, 23 through 26. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. You know, many reject the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom. And if you don't seek out your own salvation, what you're doing, you're rejecting the spirit of God and the spirit of wisdom. as like it was given in the book of Acts. And it goes on and says, I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye have refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man hath regarded, but you have set at naught all my counsel, and would not of my reproof. And I also will laugh in the day of your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes, when your fear comes as a storm, and your calamity comes on as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then will they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is it not? It tells us that in Proverbs 9 and 10. Then verse 30, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. You know, it's a whole lot simpler to let some preacher out there who is walking in the flesh tell you how easy it is to be in the kingdom and that you really don't have to lose your life, as Jesus said, in order to gain your life. You don't really have to do that. That's the hard way. Just accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Sit on the pew. Be sure and pay your tithes and everything's going to be fine. That's what the apostate religion tells you. Proverbs 131 says, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Man, there's a bunch of devices out there now. There's unconditional eternal security. And that's a real deadly one. And it teaches you that you don't have to do anything after receiving salvation. But look what the truth says, what the scripture says, Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. Those who don't have good works, they are obviously not the people of God, and they'll speak against the works. Although what the Bible says is just the opposite. The Bible says that you're going to be judged according to your works. And it says it real clear. Over and over and over again. So how do we bear the fruit of good work? First of all, you got to put goodness in your heart. you got to put goodness and love in your heart. Because it's that wisdom of God, the word of God, that reprograms our hard drive to think, walk, Talk and act and bear the fruit of Jesus Christ. Proverbs one thirty two says, For the backsliding, now backsliding means falling away, the backsliding of the simple shall slay them, and the careless ease of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkens unto me shall dwell securely, and shall be quiet without fear of evil. 
Proverbs 2 and 1 says, My son, now we're talking about wisdom talking here. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and lay up my commandments with thee, so as to incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou cry after discernment, and lift up thy voice for understanding. Father, give us discernment and understanding. Glory to God. Well, the Bible promises that if you ask the Lord for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. And if you ask him for understanding, he'll give that to you. If you ask for discernment, he'll give you that also. So don't be double-minded, but ask him, seek him. James 1, 5 through 8 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he that doubts is like the surge of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, ask the Lord even to put it in your heart to desire it. Proverbs 2 and verse 4 says, If thou seek her, if you seek wisdom, as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. There's a lot of people out there that hear the scriptures, but they totally ignore what they've heard because they don't have the fear of the Lord. And it goes on and says, And find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Verse 7, he lays up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to them that walk in integrity, that he may guard the paths of justice and preserve the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and justice and equity, yea, every good path. For wisdom shall enter into thy heart, and knowledge shall be pleasant unto thy soul. Discretion shall watch over thee, Understanding shall keep thee to deliver thee from the way of evil, from the men that speak perverse things. Whoso forsakes the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And that's what a lot of people do. They get saved and then they continue to walk in the same way they've always walked in the flesh. And they don't seek out the knowledge and wisdom of God to even know what is the will of God. 14, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, who are crooked in their ways and wayward in their paths, and to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the foreigner that flatters with her words. That strange woman is the harlot of Revelation 17. But that harlot is the mother of harlots of the earth in Revelation 17 and 5. All of those sects that came out of the mother are also called harlots because every one of those denominations received their own seed, the seed that wasn't the seed of the husband, and that makes them harlots. They received their own wisdom and their own knowledge. The knowledge of the gospel is being ignored. They reduced it to nothing more than moralizing, and there ain't no hope for moralizing, folks. Those apostate preachers can get up and give a scripture verse or two on Sunday morning, but the rest of the time, it's all their knowledge and their wisdom. Folks, there's nothing more important than the Word of God. 
the word going into your heart recreates Jesus Christ in you. He is the word. And it's the word that does that. Nothing else can do it. I ain't no moralizing going to do it for sure. You can go to some churches and get moralized every Sunday. Maybe even every Wednesday. And if you're really diligent to go after moralizing, but I'm going to tell you something. Moralizing won't give you the knowledge of the gospel. Moralizing won't give you the knowledge of how you can receive freely the nature of Jesus Christ himself. It won't give you that confidence that this is your gift from God, that this is the reconciliation that he gave you at the cross. He took your life, nailed it on the cross, and gave you his life. As Paul proclaimed in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, now it's no longer I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the foreigner that flatters with her words. Those apostate preachers will make it easy for you. Come over here. We believe in once saved, always saved. You won't have to do anything. All you got to do is believe. They will lead you in their crooked ways and in their wayward paths. Verse 17, that forsakes the friend of her youth. That's the one who saved you in the beginning. Jesus, the one you loved in the beginning. Now they want to give you another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit and forgets the covenant of her God. Some people don't even get to know that covenant before they're led astray from the Bible by the teachings of men. And like Jesus said to the Pharisees of his day in Mark 7 and verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctors the precepts of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold fast the tradition of men. Full well do you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition, making void the word of God by your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. There's no difference in the nature of man from the time of Jesus till now. We have to repent and believe what he says. And this is how we are reprogrammed to walk the straight walk, glory to God. Proverbs 2 and verse 18, For her house inclines unto death, and her paths unto the dead. Now that's true. Every one of those harlot houses inclines unto death. Now Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 19, None that go unto her return again, neither do they attain unto the paths of life, that thou may walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright shall dwell in the land. This is the land of God's people, the promised land, and each promise that we read in the word 
will become ours if we're bold to stand on it. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 24. Every place whereon the sole of your foot shall tread shall be yours. And what God's saying here is every place you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. God has given us this land that we walk in. And that's the flesh that comes from the earth in order for us to conquer it. And those tribes that originally inhabited the land, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, and so on, all represent the lust of the old man that had to be conquered in order to take that land for the spiritual man, which is Jesus Christ, who is, in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's growing in you like a little baby. And you have to feed him. And you don't feed the flesh, you feed him. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. While he, that's Jesus, was yet speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without seeking to speak to him. And one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without seeking to speak to thee. But he answered and said unto him that, that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Those who do the will of the Father are those who are bringing forth the fruit of Jesus Christ in their life. Proverbs 2.21 For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. There is a great falling away because there is a broad road to destruction, as Jesus said. Matthew 7 and 13, Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are they that enter in thereby. For narrow is the gate, and straight the way that leads unto life, and few are they that find it. We don't know the narrow road unless you study the wisdom of God, which is all through the Bible. Second John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, Whosoever goes onward and abides not in the teaching of Christ has not God. He that abides in the teaching, the same has both the Father and the Son. Folks, it's not who starts out with you. It's who continues with you. There are a lot of people who think they know the teaching, but they're getting it second, third, fourth, and fifth hand. And the only way you're going to know the teaching and the wisdom of God is to study the word and seek out the wisdom of God for yourself. Don't go into a dead church and be living the rest of your life. We just read that people go there and they don't ever come out. They're wasting their life. Never coming to know the wisdom of God. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 21 says, For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. That word perfect means mature. Those who come into the image of Christ, they are the mature ones. And then verse 22, But the wicked shall be cut off from the land, and the treacherous shall be rooted out of it. This is still talking about the same people. The wicked are the treacherous. Matthew 22 and 14. For many are called, but few chosen. You see, the wicked might start out with you, but they don't finish the course with you. First John chapter 2 and verse 19. 
They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they all are not of us. The wicked are going to be cut off from the land, and that's the land of promises. They're not going to know the promises. They will not live by the promises. Paul exhorted God's people to not be sons of the handmaid, but to be sons of the free woman, because it's going to be proven that not everyone who is a son of Abraham is chosen. It said many are called, but few are chosen. Galatians 4.22 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the handmaid, one by the free woman. Howbeit the son by the handmaid is born after the flesh, but the son by the free woman is born through the promise. The promise is what makes you born again unto Jesus Christ. And everything that he is and all that he does and thinks, okay, it's the promise that does this. It's not being moralized. It's not just joining a religion. The son of the free woman is born through promise, born again in spirit and soul and body. You know, Abraham really wanted Ismael to be chosen by God. And so have we wanted people to be chosen by God and have sown seed in both the free woman and the handmaid. And when the sons of the handmaid begin to fall away, we cry for them. But they are manifesting who they are. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 24, which things contain an allegory for these women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, bearing children unto bondage, which is Hagar. If you're born of Hagar, then you're in bondage. Even while you're in religion, you can be in bondage, just as the Israelites were. They were in so much bondage that when Jesus came to bring them to the higher order, they couldn't come out of that bondage. Verse 25, now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. It was the Israelites who went to Mount Sinai, and so Paul is applying this to them because they were in bondage, and they didn't know it. And answers to the Jerusalem that now is. Well, that's the physical Jerusalem over there in the Middle East. That's in bondage already. It's in bondage. For she is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is our mother. Praise the Lord. We are being born from above, first spirit, then soul, then body. Of course, the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your soul has to walk after the spirit to receive the nature of that spirit in order for you to bear his fruit in your soul. Romans 8 and 13 says, for if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. When you were first saved, you received that born-again Spirit. But now you got to go on to bear fruit in your soul. Only if you bear the fruit, which is Christ-likeness, will you get that new body, the born-again body, like his body. <clears throat> Now, those harlot houses tell you to just step over the line, and that's all you need to do to be born again in your spirit. No, it ain't enough, because you haven't borne fruit yet. 
So how do you bear fruit? The way you bear fruit immediately is that you have to believe that you have received. Jesus said in Mark 11, 24, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them as past tense, and you shall have them. You walk by faith for them until you see them. Everything that the Lord offers is going will be nothing to the person who doesn't reach out and receive the promises by faith. They ain't going to come to pass. And Paul tells us why in Hebrews 4 and 2. The word of hearing did not profit them because it was not united by faith with them that heard. You see, they didn't mix faith with the words. Galatians Galatians 4 and 27 says, For it is written, Rejoice thou, barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travails not. For more are the children of the desolate than of her that hath the husband. Yes, there's many called, but few chosen. Verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. And so also is it now. You know, that Ishmael, who represents the harlot, has persecuted Isaac. And that's Israel. And we know that Ishmael was chosen to be the persecutor. Although they were both born of the same father, one son turned out to be a persecutor who had no relationship with God. And that's what happens whenever people fall under the law. They don't have the grace relationship with God. There's no difference between those Galatians and somebody who falls under any law of religion today. They had a wrong relationship with God. And if you have a wrong relationship with God, you're going to fall away. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 30 says, How be it, what saith the scripture? Cast out the handmaiden her son, for the son of the handmaid shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Wherefore, brethren, we are not children of a handmaid, but of the free woman. He's trying to convince them. Because the fact was that many of them were children of the handmaid since they had fallen back under the law. Fallen back under a false relationship with God. And he's trying to convince them of who they are supposed to be. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says, For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now let's go back to where we were, Proverbs 2 and 21. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the land, and the treacherous shall be rooted out of it. It's obvious that the Ishmaelites are being cut off from the land, the land of promise. Because they bought a lie in their religion, as a lot of other people have in their religion. What the advantages and opportunities of reading God's word and appropriating everything that's been given unto us can be. That's what being called means. It's an invitation to partake of all those promises. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 4 says, And he taught me and said unto me, Let thy heart retain my word. Keep my commandments and live. Well, how do you continue to live? Well, you continue to live by studying and keeping his commandments, delighting in his commandments, and delighting in being pleasing unto him. 
Jesus said, He that loves me will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, 23, and 24. You don't love him if you're keeping the commandments of men, folks. Men make it easy for the old man to live because they don't want to lose their old life. They don't like the crucified life that comes with loving the commandments of God. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forsake her not, and she will preserve thee. Love her, and she will keep thee. Well, that's the truth, folks. Wisdom will keep you from falling away. And then verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Yea, with all thy getting, get understanding. And Proverbs 4.20. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my saying. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart, for they are life. And some people think that eternal life is something that God put in their hand that he can't take it back. But what does John say? First John 5 and 11 says this, And the witness is this, that God gave unto us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. You get that? This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath the life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not the life. You see, God didn't put anything in your hand. He gave eternal life to be in the Son. And abiding in the Son is where we have eternal life. Proverbs 4.22, For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Did you know that God will test us? A lot of people don't even know that we're not under the curse. They don't know that Jesus is our Passover lamb. They don't know that the destroyer was meant to pass over us and take out the Egyptians. And there's too many people out there that are passing up the calling. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, life comes out of your heart. And if you put the wisdom of God in there, just like in the parable of the sower, you're going to be reprogrammed. And folks, I want you to understand that you are in danger and the only place you have safety is in him. If three out of every four people who hear the gospel fall away from it, you're in danger. You need to keep on putting the wisdom of God in your life. It will save and it will preserve thee, the Bible says. Proverbs 4 and 6. Now, let's look again at the parable of the sower, Matthew 13 and 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Well, he was speaking to the Jews who had the covenant first. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 24, I was not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you got to remember Ecclesiastes 1 and 9. That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. And once again, this man-child is coming to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Only now, as Paul said in Romans 2.28, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. 
But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, Israel is the ones who seek the born-again experience, not just in spirit, but in soul and ultimately in our body. These are the ones who have the covenant. These are the ones who are on the path, the narrow path, unto eternal life. And if you start in faith, since faith is accounted as righteousness, even when you start on that path, as long as you stay on that path, you are assured of eternal life. Not because you manifested it, but because you're walking by faith for it. Glory to God. And I want you to notice the disciples asking, he said, why do you speak to them in parables? And of course, they wanted their brethren, the Jews, to be saved. And of course, they wanted them to understand also. And they're telling him, make it simple for him, Jesus, like the preachers do. And then Matthew 13 and verse 11, and he that talked about Jesus answered and said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. Well, goodness gracious, that sounds like it was a reprobation at the beginning of the man-child Jesus ministry. And today there's a man-child ministry coming again, only this time to the church. And once again, we have the same situation. These people are not disciples. They can't hear. They've been inoculated against the truth. The man-child speaks in parables and they can't understand it. But he won't speak to them in any other way. Matthew 13, 34 and 35. All these things spake Jesus in parables unto the multitudes and without a parable spake he nothing unto them. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken through the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. The Bible says that he took his disciples aside privately and explained to them all things. Matthew 13 and 11. And he answered and said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. A disciple is someone that is a learner and a follower. And disciples are studying the master. They're studying the master to walk in his steps. First John chapter 2 and verse 6 says, He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. It's not all those eminent preachers in their fancy suits. It's Jesus that is our demonstration of true Christianity, which is to walk as he walked exactly. It is to manifest his gifts, his works, everything about him. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost. And that Greek word there means completely, forever, entirely. Them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. But although... You see that it's a free gift from God. You have to receive by faith the promise of Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Matthew 13 and 12, but it says, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have abundance. Whosoever has, abundance of what? Well, this is speaking of whosoever has understanding, 
whosoever has fruit of what they have received. You see, if we walk in the light, he puts more light in our pathway. And this is someone who has been given this fruit, who has been given this understanding. That is who shall have abundance he's talking about. This is someone who is walking in the light, therefore they deserve more light. There ain't no use in putting out more light in front of somebody who's not going to walk in it. they just be condemned that much more. So God gives you a little light. If you walk in that, he gives you more light. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18. The path of the righteous is as the dawning light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He gives you a lamp for your feet to show you where you stand because if you know where you are, he can show you where you are to go. We need to know that. Some people, in fact, are in total denial about where they stand. And these people believe that they're already arrived at perfection by some magic words that they've spoken or something that they did. Matthew 13 and 12 says, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Jesus gave the parable of the talents about that exact situation. Two of the three servants multiplied the talents their Lord entrusted to them. But the third servant did nothing with what he was given. His Lord was angry with him. And he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 22, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I am an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that which I did not sow. Then wherefore gavest thou not my money into the bank? And I at my coming should have required it with interest. And he said unto them that stood by, Take away from him the pound, and give it unto him that hath the ten pound. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. Verse 26, I say unto you that unto everyone that hath shall be given. But from him that has not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. When they protested, but he has ten, it was because they didn't understand God. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to walk in his steps. But there's far too many people that are like that third servant. And they wouldn't touch discipleship with a 10-foot pole. They've never even been taught that they needed or even had an opportunity to become a disciple. And And so because they bear no fruit and they haven't sought wisdom, even though God has borne with them up to that point, finally he reprobates them. Or in other words, even that which he has shall be taken away from him. Matthew 13, 13 says, Therefore speak unto them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. They have physical eyes to see, but not spiritual eyes to see. How do you get spiritual eyes to see? Well, you got to come to know the one who wrote the book. That's how you get spiritual eyes to see. And that's how you get spiritual ears to hear because you'll hear only his voice. Just like Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
But sadly, a lot of people like to leave out that last part. They follow me. Matthew 13 and 14, And unto them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall in no wise understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall in no wise perceive. Now, we know what understanding is and what perceiving is. And then verse 15, For this people's heart is waxed gross. He's talking about his people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And even today, there is the lost sheep of the house of the church because they've lost their path. They don't know the way, and they don't know that the end of that way is Colossians one twenty seven, Christ in you, the hope of glory. They don't even know that the process that leads up to that point is Christ increasingly growing in you like a baby in the womb. Matthew 12 and 48, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 13 and 15, for this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest happily they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. They're afraid to know the truth because it would make them responsible to know the truth. It's easier just to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Now, I'm not saying that can't be a beginning. And if there was a, a true repentance involved, but otherwise you're just filling the church pew and your self-deception will be revealed uh, uh, on down the road. Matthew 13 to 15, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest happily they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should turn again and I should heal them. Golly, God would love to heal every one of us. He wants to heal us spiritually, physically, and every other way there is. And these are the benefits of the kingdom. It's for the called. It's for the invited. Second Timothy 1 and 9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before times eternal. So when you get saved, you get invited. And when you get saved in your spirit, you get a new spirit from God. And according to what the scriptures say, you receive a born-again spirit. And now you are invited to partake of the benefits of the kingdom. Because now you're a kingdom person. John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5 tells us that. The world doesn't have this calling. This calling is not, hey, come on to Jesus. No, it's who saved them and called them. You get saved, and then you get this invitation to partake of the kingdom. In Israel, the Israelite had the benefits of the kingdom. The pagans didn't. Matthew 13 and 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. That's Jesus talking to his disciples. And your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see the things that you, which you see. That's why it's called a good news, folks. The Jews had to struggle to find out every jot and tittle of the law and keep them or else slay a lamb. Well, folks, our lamb was slain. 
And the good news is that what God gives us is a free gift now. Glory to God. Matthew 13 and 17. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see the things which ye see and saw them not, and to hear the things which ye hear and heard them not. Hear then ye the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, well, who did he just get through saying that didn't understand the word? It was his people according to the old covenant. But the man-child ministry that is coming is going to renew a call to the true gospel, which many of the people have never heard. Yet many of them will choose to stick to their religion because it's easy. Come and pay your tithes and you'll just go right into the kingdom. Hogwash. David says baloney, but I say hogwash. Matthew 13 and 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the evil one and snatches away that which hath been sown in his heart. And I've seen this happen when telling people what the true good news is. And they'd rather go back to their religion because they don't demand anything from them. This is he that was sown by the wayside. Now, not much of a chance to bear any fruit there. Verse 20, And he that was sown upon the rocky places, this is he that hears the word and straightway with joy receives it. Well, you run across these people too. They're happy because it really is good news. Verse 21, Yet hath he not root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, straightway he stumbles. There it is. That's the falling away. This is somebody who in the beginning received the good news with joy, but then they didn't allow it to take a deep root in its, in their cells. When a plant's root grows down into the dirt, it actually displaces the dirt. It takes the nutrients out of that dirt uses them to grow into an excellent plant. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, Wherefore we faint not, but through our outward man, and the outward man is just the dirt, is decaying, and yet our inward man is renewed day by day. But if you don't give good root to the word of God in your life and by faith, expect it to displace what your old life was then you're not going to bear a decent-looking plant. You're certainly not going to bear fruit. You're going to stumble because you don't have enough root to keep you in the hard times and in the persecutions and in the tribulation. And you're going to fall away as an unbeliever because that wonderful life you've been told you're going to have by accepting Jesus as your personal Savior doesn't come. And if all you do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior, then you're not giving up your life in order to in order to receive your life, the dirt has to give up something. <clears throat> Excuse me. In order for the plant to live, otherwise that plant jumps up quickly, and even though it might look good, it dies just as quickly. Matthew thirteen twenty two. He that was sown among the thorns, this is he that hears the word. So he hears the word, he believes the word, and he accepts the word. Now, he's not like those others in the very beginning who didn't have ears to hear. Then it goes on and says, And the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. 
You know, compared to the rest of the world, most Americans are rich. And the riches of the world give people opportunity for sin. If you have nothing and have no hope of having anything, when Jesus is given to you, you'll receive Jesus and the good news with joy. But it might just turn out to be jailhouse religion. As soon as the convicts are set free and have the opportunity to go back to their sin, most of them do. Their sins become more important to them than the wisdom they received when they were in jail. No, opportunity to sin is not a proof that you're an overcomer. The proof that you're an overcomer, folks, is that when you have the opportunity to sin, you choose God rather than sin. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust. Seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, O oh, Jesus, my Lord Jesus. Yeah.